Then do what? Oh, I didn't do my Feliz Navidad dance. All right. I did that in honor of all the retailers that are so cowardly as not to say Merry Christmas in their retail stores. And so I figured if you're in church, you ought to hear it about a thousand times. So. And in another language as well. So. All right. This is our third installment today in our illustrated sermon series that I entitled, Don't Let Your Grinch Steal Christmas. And I don't have time to uh, go back and review everything that we've talked about up to this point. Just by way of quick remembrance, we've just used the Grinch as an illustration to uh, somehow help us see what we've called that inner Grinch inside of all of us. In fact, I believe I put on the screen overhead that the inner Grinch is really our carnal nature. That inside of every human being, you didn't escape it. If you thought you escaped it, I hate to be the one to bring you this news. You did not. That we are all born with this carnal nature. Some call it sin nature. Paul sometimes used the term the flesh. It's something that's in all of us that causes us to be turned in the technical, the technical phrase is the bent toward evil. But if you go ahead and flash the next one, guys, uh, actually the carnal nature and its irreducible residue is what we've defined as selfishness. If you want to know what sin is at its most irreducible level, if you can take, sin is not just you did bad things. Because, you know, we've lived with some some moral code in the earth and some moral code in the church to the place that we understand that there is certain behavior or certain actions that we define as sin. And if that's where you are, that's great because that'll keep you out of a lot of trouble just at that level. But to understand why it is that God determined certain things were sin and other things seemed to be okay is because sin at its irreducible level, when you, when you peel it off and come down to the bottom line of what it's all about, what it all is about is selfishness. You know, the two greatest commandments, Jesus said, were to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, he said, is as the first to love your neighbor as yourself. And so sin would be the opposite, you would think, and it is, of the great commandment. Sin is when instead of looking at others or looking at God and realizing your life is to be lived in totality for for helping them. It actually is, sin is when it curves back in and all you can think of is yourself. And sometimes selfishness manifests itself in some pretty gross manifestations. I mean, we could go down the list of gross sins and all of us would go, yeah, you're right, that's a gross sin. And then I could share with you all the the common sins and even the ones that that we we just take for granted. But yet all of it is rooted in selfishness. Doesn't matter whether it's this common sin that's acceptable or whether it's this egregious sin that everybody would hate. It's all rooted in the flesh. It is rooted in our selfishness. And we talk to you about how you can't be delivered from the flesh. Ouch. I wish it were so. I, I wish I could line you up and we could lay hands on you. And just say, flesh, come out of them in Jesus' name. But it just doesn't work that way. We can deliver you from the power of the enemy. 
But our problem is, is that you can get the devil out, but you cannot just get the flesh out in the same way. And contrary to a lot of popular opinion, for most of us, it's not that the devil doesn't get involved in what's going on in our life. It's not that there can't be demonic pressures and oppression that are happening in our life. But for a lot of people, the devil doesn't have to get involved in your life. He just has to leave you to your own nature. If he just leaves you to your flesh, or maybe he'll bring some circumstances that'll gig it a little bit, kind of poke at it, and just get it stirred inside of you, you can get into enough trouble without his help. That is the flesh. And so we've been building this foundation for these last couple of weeks. We, we talked to you on week one about understanding what it is that's working inside of you, getting to know your inner Grinch. Last week we talked about how God will ultimately and eventually reveal your inner Grinch. Your selfishness will be revealed for all to see and hopefully for you to see as well. And that leads us to this morning with the message I've entitled, So You Think You Have a Right to Be a Grinch. You think you have a right to be a Grinch. Now, we've been reading out of the Christmas accounts, and so turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. And I want to read to you, uh, again, a familiar story out of the Christmas account. Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. We may mention a couple other verses in the second chapter as well. Matthew 1, 18 Are you there? If you are, say, I'm there. All right, very good. Matthew 1.18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So you think you have a right to be a Grinch. This morning I want to talk about Joseph, the earthly or what we would call, I guess, most specifically the adoptive father of Jesus. It has to be said that we don't know a whole lot about Joseph. It's Mary that gets most of the attention. She gets most of the press in the Christmas story. Joseph tends to be a background figure in the story. And we don't even have a, a quotation from Joseph. We have no recorded words in the Bible from Joseph. We never hear him speak. The passage that I read to you is probably the, the most lengthy and uh, most descriptive passage that we have in one place of what we know about Joseph. And what we find is a man who is in a situation that has every right to demonstrate some significant concerns. 
I mean, he has a right to be a little bit concerned about uh, this whole situation he finds himself in and what it is going to mean to him and his reputation and his religious upbringing and his family's response. And, and, and he has some concerns. Don't you think that he should have just a few concerns seeing how your fiance has come up and said, hey, just letting you know, I'm pregnant and it's not yours. So Joseph, I would think, has a right to be just a little Grinch-like in a situation like this. I mean, obviously, there's some self-concerns and some issues that would concern himself. And yet, this is the man into whose care our God entrusted his very own son. This is the man to whom God entrusted himself as a helpless baby, a vulnerable baby. God entrusted Joseph with one of the greatest responsibilities in the history of the world. In fact, it might be the greatest responsibility. Do you realize God said, here, Joseph, I'm going to let you raise me. I'd say that's a fairly significant responsibility. So maybe there's a few things we can learn from a guy like this. Why do we think? Why do we think we have a right to be a Grinch? Why is it that we might think this way? Our illustration has been the Grinch himself. So uh, I thought it might be good if we just took a minute and uh, we looked at a clip from the, from the film that we've been running, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And it's a clip from how the Grinch started his selfish ways. Uh, you know, in the Dr. Zeus book, it doesn't tell us exactly how the Grinch became the Grinch. But in the movie version, it gives us a little insight as to how he became Grinch-like and as, as you will see, he is at a school at Christmas time. He's in grade school and has a crush on a girl. And he wants to give her a Christmas gift. And something happens in the classroom. So guys, if you're ready, douse the lights. Busy with my Watch the screen. Studies. Now, class, is everyone almost finished? And if the truth be told, he, um, he liked Martha. Martha was... My girlfriend. I don't like discussing this Grinch so very close to Christmas, but maybe if you hear the truth, you'll understand why. Put your back into it. I tried to take him under my wing. You don't have a chance with her. You're eight years old and you have a beard. <laughs> have hair. Not pleasant. He shed. Right. You know, Christmas is my favorite time of year. I just love the colors. The red and the green. Did I have a crush on the Grinch? <laughs> well, of course not. I didn't ask you that. Oh, right. For some reason, when he came home that day, he really got into the Christmas spirit for the first time. Baby, picture you Perfect! Hanging around a Christmas tree. Whoopsie! Colored lights and an angel of a bar. It's the love, love. What a lovely family heirloom! Oh! Oh!
perfect on the top of a tree. Oh, Martha. Oh, Christmas. I want you all to look your best tomorrow. You don't have a chance with her. You're eight years old and you have a beard. Has everyone given their gift? Why do you have a bag on your head? Probably because he's embarrassed by that idiot's gift. <laughs> Mr. Grinch, please take the bag off. Yes, you take it off. Put the book down. And your foot. Look at that hack job. As you can see in this, just that short film clip, that, that a lot of our problems when it comes to that inner Grinch stem from being wounded in life. Sometimes we're wounded from rejection. Sometimes we're wounded by words. Sometimes we're wounded by betrayal. Sometimes we're wounded by disappointments. And what happens is, is when these wounds take place, and sometimes they can happen years prior to what you're facing at this particular moment. What happens is, when we have those wounds, we begin to make vows. We begin to say to ourselves, I'm never going to let that happen to me again. I'll never be put in a situation like that again. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm vowing. You may never say it out loud, but internally, you're, you, you make a vow that whatever injustice, unfairness, hurt, or wound takes place, you begin to vow that that'll never take place again in your life. You make poor decisions then off that vow. You begin to do things that yield to the carnal nature. And all of these things that took place could have happened to a guy like Joseph. I want you just to think about Joseph for a moment because he does get skipped over at times. Joseph's world has fallen apart by all earthly standards if you just stop and consider it for a moment. I mean, a good chapter heading in your Bible, mine says this, Christ born of Mary. It ought to say, Joseph, your fiancé is pregnant and it's not yours. 
Really, that would be a better description of what's going on. It's hard to imagine for us in the 21st century uh, the horror that would have shot through him when he heard that his betrothed was with child. If you have your Bibles in Deuteronomy 22, verse 23, I want to read to you what the Old Testament says takes place when a situation like this comes up. In Deuteronomy 22, verse 23, it says this, If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put away the evil from among you. So you need to understand that how we handle it today is not how they would have handled it then. Today, a pregnant teenager may be a little embarrassing. It may cause some consternation and certainly be inconvenient. But in those days, we're talking about something that was deadly serious. Oh, sure, Mary had a story about an angel, about a pregnancy that took place as God overshadowed her. But think about that for just a moment. Would you really buy that? Mary is considered at this particular time defiled. She's under judgment according to the law. A righteous man could have nothing to do with her. So think about this for just a moment. You're Joseph. You've been walking uprightly and righteously. You obviously got a lot of great character qualities uh, that are happening in your life. Don't you think that if you would have walked upright before God and you'd done everything you know to do before God that was good and right and just and you were an honorable man or an honorable person and all of a sudden all this begins to take place around you. I don't know about you, but when you feel like you're being honorable and things are happening around you that were out of your control and yet they reflect on you anyway, that can be just a tad wounding. It can be just a a, a tad hurtful and disappointing. I can assure you even this much in this story that in a guy's psyche that if his woman comes up pregnant from another guy, well, that's a pretty tough one to overcome. Now, I've listened to folks through the years, Christian folks, come and sit down with me and want counsel or want prayer or just share with me a story that they're going through. And they will begin to share with me about a tough time that they're facing a hard situation that they're in. And it's amazing how quickly you'll listen. And instantly, they'll run to this phrase, my rights. It seems like it's my right. It seems like I have rights. Both men and women tell me at times they're in situations that gives them some right. I've listened to it come out of both genders. I have a right to be happy. I have a right to be fulfilled. I have a right to be respected. I have a right to be affirmed. I have a right to be acknowledged as the head. I have a right to be loved as Christ loves the church. I have a right. I've heard him say, I have a right to have an affair. I have a right. I have a right to go get blasted on the weekend. I have a right to do drugs. If you had this life I live, I have some rights here. And I am amazed at how folks never, they just never come into my office and look at me and tell me their hard situation and then go, but pastor, I have a right to be like Jesus. You never hear that one. Isn't that amazing? No, it's always, I have a right 
to what I need. Joseph had a right. He had a right to dump Mary. That was his right. He had a right to say, I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this scenario. I didn't sign up for this happening. This isn't what it was supposed to be like. And you know what? It's interesting that nobody in the community would have thought any less of him if he would have done exactly that. I want to give you a key thought here. And you're going to have to meditate on it and think about it a little bit. But here's the key thought. And it's this. That when you hear the word right come out of your mouth, it's usually your flesh. I've got rights. I've got rights. I I want you just to pause at this moment. And I'm hoping everyone who's hearing this from this point forward, the rest of your life, when the word right comes out, it will cause you to pause for just a moment and say, where's that coming from? Because when you hear the words selfless or mercy or yieldedness or brokenness, that probably is more derived from your spirit. But it didn't even end there. Not only... Could this conceivably ruin his relationship? But to deal with this situation that his betrothed was in would ruin his career. It would inconvenience him to an almost unimaginable degree. He would have to not only marry her, but he would have to raise somebody else's child. Joseph appears to be the most innocent of parties. Yet he's the one who perhaps it could be argued would be put out the most in this situation. But Joseph chose to do the right thing. He chose to do the God thing. He didn't turn bitter. He didn't turn vindictive. I've always found out this, and I think you would find this to be true. Is it not true that relationship struggles usually bring out the worst in people, don't they? Isn't that true? I mean, usually it's a relationship struggle. If you want to know what Grinch is in there, you just get in a relationship struggle. And it'll just manifest almost instantly. But here's Joseph. He doesn't get twisted. He doesn't get bent out of shape. In fact, I started thinking about this. You remember when Zacharias was confronted with an inconvenient, unreasonable situation with the prophecy of the birth of John the Baptist and his wife Elizabeth, despite them being old. And you remember I told you last week that the angel literally had to zip his lip. It's interesting that you don't hear anything from Joseph at all. Not a word in scripture is recorded that came out of Joseph's mouth. All I can assume is is that Joseph was a man of few words. God didn't have to zip his lip up. He got it. So what did Joseph do? Well, let's talk about what he had to do to overcome this inner Grinch. What do I do to, to begin to prevail, to begin to triumph, to begin to overcome this thing? Well, the quick answer is this. And, and, and maybe I'm just elaborating on something I could just say it and shut down service. But really, it's simply this. Joseph had to lay down his rights. He had to lay down his rights. Wow. (laughs) Boy, does that not sound like, what are you talking about, man? I have, I have, I have, I have a right to feel like I feel. I have a right to do what I want to do. I have a right, I have a right to, uh, 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 You may have all kinds of rights, but the question is, will you lay them down? Can I just suggest this to you out of Philippians chapter 2? The Bible tells us about Jesus. It says, who being in the, who coming as a man and also being in the form of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was equal with God, but he, but he poured himself out, the scripture says. He, he, he poured himself out in order to become 
man in order to become a servant. And people have debated as to what that pouring out meant. And I believe a part of it was he had to pour out his rights as God. Because you understand when you're God, you can do anything you want to do. As God, I mean, you're where the buck stops. As God, you have a right to demand homage and worship and all the things that you could demand as being God. But the scripture says that he laid down his rights and became like one of us. Now, that's what Jesus did. And before Jesus ever came along and it was ever manifested in the earth, his earthly adoptive dad, Joseph, had already got that lesson. You know, I just started kind of thinking as I was looking at the life of Joseph. You know, I started thinking about the great, the great uh, grace and mercy that he extended toward his betrothed Mary. And he, and he didn't drag her into the city streets and call out all the people and, and, and stone her to death. And, and I often wondered later in life, you remember the story when, when the religious leaders threw the adulterous woman before Jesus and they were ready to cast stones at her and he, and he marks in the dirt and he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all had to drop their stones and walk away. And of course he didn't, he didn't say you can go sin. He said, he said, where are your accusers woman? And, and he says, now go and sin no more. So he's very clear that he doesn't want us sinning. He doesn't want us functioning in selfishness. But I've often wondered as I began to look at this in Joseph's life, you know, I understand that Jesus had revelation. He was, he was birthed of the heavenly father. But I just, I just wonder if his earthly dad didn't have some impact on him as well. Are you with me? Because his earthly dad sure had a lot of things under his belt already. Joseph faced this situation and he had to ask himself some questions. He had to ask himself, am I willing and prepared to deny myself in this situation? Am I prepared to lose my life for the sake of the gospel? Am I prepared to lose my reputation for this cause that's before me? Am I prepared to bear the shame that will come my way? I mean, he had to ask himself the question, Joseph, will, will you give yourself to a baby that isn't really yours? Will you give up what you have for the sake of the salvation of others? I realize this isn't a part of the Christmas story we get. We just get the little nativity scene and the ooh and the ah, and isn't that cute? Let me tell you, this was one hard moment for Joseph and Mary. It wouldn't be far from the mark to say that Joseph had to face the demands of the cross before the crucified one was ever even born. He had to die to his way. But what does that mean practically? What does that mean and what does it require of us to overcome these selfish tendencies? Well, let me give you just a couple quick things. Write this down. Number one, you've got to start being open to the voice of God. You've got to be open to the voice of God. Contrary to a lot of Christian instruction, God will not only talk to you about things that will bless your nature. He will talk to you about things that will challenge your selfish nature. An angel speaks to Joseph. An angel has to come along. And in verse 20, it says here that uh, Joseph, uh, son of David, don't be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And this will be the first of four times that the angel will show up and talk to Joseph about uh, what's going on in a situation. And you know what? I thought every time the angel shows up, it brings upheaval to Joseph's life. 
Every time the angel showed up, one time it showed up and uh, it says, uh, take to Mary, uh, your pregnant fiance, it's going to be okay. And then another time the angel shows up and says, you know, rise up, take your wife and child and flee into Egypt. And another time it says, uh, you know, arise and you can begin to come back. And I mean, every time the angel comes and talks to him, it, it discombobulates. It totally puts his whole life in an upheaval. I tell you what, after one or two visitations of the angel, if an angel would have come a third time to me, I'd have said, wait a minute. Every time you show up, my whole life gets turned upside down. How many of you know, we all want an angelic visitation. Do you really? Because every time the angel showed up to Joseph, things started to be turned upside down. And the angel tells Joseph the scoop on Mary. And this is the real test. Let's say he instantly believes the story that the angel shares with him. But who else is going to believe it? You see, by marrying Mary, he would effectively be admitting publicly that the baby was his. That he had broken God's command by sleeping with his betrothed. That the baby was conceived in sin. That's a lot to ask of a righteous man. So to receive the voice of God meant losing your reputation in the community. To receive the voice of God meant you'd have to lose your reputation in the synagogue and with your customers. And, and, and the Christmas story isn't as neat and tidy as you might think. And when God comes and speaks to you, you've got to realize it's not always a smooth transition. I've had people call me through the years in dead, dry, denominational churches. And they'll call me and they'll say, Kevin, tell me, tell me, tell me, how can I make a smooth transition into the things of the Spirit? How can I make a smooth transition into the, into the things of, of that arena that you're in? And I'll look at them and speak to them and tell them every time, ain't no smooth transition. What you're wanting is a painless, flesh-affirming experience. You want the benefits of what you see. You don't want the crucifixion of what's there. I mean, I can tell you through the years. I, I, I've, I've been before the Lord through the years. Having to obey His voice in things that nobody else understood. I can remember one time being before the Lord. And, and saying, Lord, and this was my words, Lord! My reputation, I mean, I, 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 it means a lot to me. I want to have a good reputation. I mean, I can even show you some verses here if you need them. And just being before the Lord going, oh, Lord, no, 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 I don't want to do this. I don't want, I don't want my, you know, my reputation. And the, and the Lord, I'll never forget one time the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I can't say it was audible, but it was almost as if it was audible. And it was, it was the Lord who said, hey, if I didn't spare my own son's reputation, what do you think I'll do for you? Oh, yeah, that's a hallelujah, isn't it? Praise God. Praise God, he's not going to spare my reputation. Praise God, he's going to crucify me. Praise God, I got to yield my rights. Because let me tell you, there have been many a situation where I had some rights that I could invoke. But let me tell you, if you want to get over the inner Grinch, you gotta, you gotta lay down some rights. Number two, you gotta yield your agenda. After you're open to the voice of God, you gotta yield your agenda. Whatever plan Joseph originally had was now gone if he was going to hear the voice of God. I want you just to, I'm trying to make it contemporary and relevant 
you, you all in this room have some form of plan for life. Maybe your plan isn't over, you know, 24 hours old. You know, I've got, I got a plan for the next 24 hours. Everything else is subject to change. Some of you have plans for the next week. Some of you have plans for the Christmas season and New Year's. Some of you have plans maybe going out a month or two. Maybe you've got a one, five, seven-year plan. I don't know. But, but think about, just for a moment, your plan. Especially some of you guys. I mean, uh, guys, just we, we, we like plans. And so we've got a plan. And so here we are wanting to be righteous and upright. And Joseph has a plan and he's righteous and upright. And all of a sudden the voice of God comes in and begins to speak to him. And now the question is this. Will you obey the voice of God and do what God is saying? Or must you keep to the plan? Because there's going to come a moment to deal with the inner Grinch. You're going to have to yield your agenda. We need to be reminded that God is not around just to actualize all of your personal desires. God's just not up there. The only verse some people know in the, in the charismatic movement is that God will give us the desires of our heart. That's the only thing we know. And then we want to generate our self-consumed desire and say, Lord, do it. And that's not what it's all about. It's not about your agenda. It is still about the plan and the purposes of God. Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then the desires of your heart will be his plan and purpose, right? That's right. So that's what God is wanting to find. And and he will do this on numerous occasions. Just get ready. You will have a plan all mapped out and God will speak to you. And there is the moment where you'll find out whether or not the Grinch is going to come out or not. Because you're going to have to yield your agenda. I'll never forget the story of a popular, popular president of a Christian college who was moving up into even greater popularity and greater influence in the body of Christ at large. And his wife was struck with Alzheimer's disease. It was in his later years, but there were still a lot of years left for him to have an incredible impact by way of ministry in the body of Christ at large, and certainly at the college he was a part of. But he came in, and he resigned his position to care exclusively for her. Can you imagine? He resigned the presidency of a notable Christian college. He resigned the possibility of the influence that he would have in the body of Christ at large. He resigned the possibilities of input into a much, much broader spectrum of Christianity. And many came up to him and said, what about your ministry? What about the call of God? And he said, this is the call of God. That, friends, is selfless. That's what selflessness is all about. And when you begin to hear people who all of a sudden, you know, they, they, they can't do it because, you know, they didn't marry the right one. Or they can't do it because it just impedes the work of the ministry. I have listened to ministers on Christian television say, Hey, God didn't call me to marriage. He called me to ministry and so I might lose my marriage, but I can keep on in the ministry. That is nothing more than Grinch-like behavior. And it certainly doesn't demonstrate selflessness to the people at large. What, we be, what we're being taught, what we're being told is just loose what you feel like is a burden to you so you can embrace what it is that makes you feel good. And you know what? That's not the story of Joseph. You got to yield your agenda. And sometimes that isn't fun. I'm sure it wasn't fun for Joseph. I, we don't have all of his 
emotions and inner workings. I'm, I'm sure if we could get inside of him, it wasn't the easiest thing to do. But we've got to come back to the place that this is where God moves. This is where supernatural things happen. We all want God to supernaturally move, but we don't want to be selfless in it. God moves when we're selfless. Miracles happen when you're selfless. God moves. When you give it away, he'll send it back. When you cast your bread upon the water, it will come back. When you begin to move beyond yourself, that's when God begins to move back to you. The Bible says that when, when you give to the poor, it's as if you lend to the Lord and God who is a debtor to no man will repay. And I would rather have a hundredfold of his repayment than keep my grubby hands on a few bucks that aren't going to really do me much good a month from now. you got to yield some agendas here. Amen. Number three, which really goes along with it, you got to embrace the purpose of God. Joseph originally had a plan here to put Mary away privately. Uh, God had another plan. And he said, of course, marry her. And so when, when the Lord said marry her, Basically, he's looking at Joseph and say, Joseph, will you embrace that? You know, it's one thing to yield your agenda, but is it, it's another thing to embrace the plan of God. You know, you can let something go, but will you embrace what God's saying to you? Now think about this. It's a plan that's been in place for a long time. I started to think about this, how God had been promising a Messiah for thousands of years. Isn't that true? I mean, since the Garden of Eden, there were prophecies concerning the Messiah that were coming out. Thousands of years, God had been promising the Messiah. And now the Bible tells us that in the fullness of time, it had come. And here Joseph is, thousands of years of prophecy. God's ready to do this thing. And Joseph is confronted with this awesome moment when God says, this is it, Joseph. This is the big plan. This isn't plan B, C, or D. This is A. You can count on it. My son's coming. This is how it's going to happen. Will you embrace your part of that, Joseph? How about you? Have you ever considered that God's purposes are so far-reaching that you don't even understand that it's not just about you doing something you don't like, but it's about the plans of God that are so far-reaching that, that God is counting, He is counting on selfless people to embrace something that's so far beyond your self-actualization. It is so far beyond you just being happy. It is so far beyond you just being content. It is about His purposes in the earth. Your selfish nature, my selfish nature is on the line sometimes when God shows up and he begins to talk to us. And then number four, I'll just put up there, you must instantly obey. Every time the angel spoke, even when it was life-altering, Joseph obeyed quickly. I don't see him debating with his flesh. I don't see him wrestling with it. I don't see he may have had behind the scenes, and we don't read it, these Gethsemane experiences, I, he may well have. But all I know is what I read is, is that he made the decision of whatever was asked of him, he would do it. He would, he would be selfless. He would obey instantly. You know, I want to tell the story this morning of uh, Michael and Bonnie Callaghan's son-in-law. 
Some of you know that, well, it's been over a year ago now, that uh, the Calligans lost their son-in-law, who was in the military in Afghanistan, Buddy Huey. I, I don't know all the ins and outs. I know a little bit of the story because I had the honor of being involved in their story with regards to Buddy's death. I was there the night that the news was brought to his young wife and small child. I was there at the funeral and was able to speak to the military that were gathered and the friends and the family that had gathered there as well. And all the things that transpired were the normal things that would take place with regards to when someone, someone dies and, and we want to tend to their body and we want to honor their life and certainly we want to worship God. But I remember hearing the story of what Buddy Huey did and what cost him his life. According to the story, as I understand it, and I'll stand corrected if there are other details that will come out, but as I understood the story, there was some sort of caravan of Amer American military personnel when all of a sudden they were descended upon by some Taliban, the enemy. The Taliban had the high ground and they were shooting at this particular convoy of uh, American soldiers. Buddy was a medic. And everybody took cover, as I understand it. And as they were shooting, one of the Taliban snipers got one of the Afghan nationals across the road. It required Buddy to instantly step out from behind wherever he was facing cover and to run across the road in order to take care of that Afghan national. Now you need to understand that, that, that he had a right. He legitimately did. Nobody was ordering him to go. Nobody, nobody trained him that he had to leave a place of safety like that in those set of circumstances, particularly for an Afghan soldier. Nobody, nobody was thinking that he had to do what he had to do. But something kicked in at that particular moment. Could have been the training. Could have been due to reflex. Could have been due to compassion. We will never know. But the bottom line is he moved from that place of safety as a medic and went across the road to that Afghan national. And there as he was tending to that wounded soldier. One of the snipers shot him. And sadly and unfortunately. Buddy died due to those wounds. But I started to think about that for just a moment. And I thought to myself. How selfless that was at that particular moment. That there wasn't a moment of great debate. At least that we're aware of. There wasn't a moment when somehow or another. Uh, that he had weighed out the pros, the cons, and he certainly had responsibilities and, and, and all the things that may have needed to happen. I'm not even going to try to untangle the whole thing. All I will tell you is this, and that is in a split second, he decided for him, he needed to go across in a selfless act to someone he wasn't even required to help in order to do what it is that he felt like he needed to do. Can I just share this with you? The reason... You know, true heroes, I'm convinced of this, true heroes aren't the ones like Arnold Schwarzenegger and the other Hollywood guys that burst into enemy compounds and shoot 500 people up with their, with their two machine guns and then they're the hero because they killed 500 people. The true heroes are people like Buddy who come out from behind the rock and they go across the road in just a simple selfless act. That it becomes a world-altering event. 
And I don't know all that God had in mind when that happened. And I'm not saying that God's even involved in those actions that took place. But I can tell you this, and I can't even get into the whole story. But I can tell you at that funeral service, when the gospel was shared, and people were challenged, and his life was memorialized, I know, I know that there were people in that service whose whole lives were radically altered forever. Forever. Because of one selfless act. I was also thinking, because it wasn't that long ago when we, uh, we buried James Harrowwood. Most of you knew James, and we honored him, a young man, taken way too early. Many of you don't know that the day that he passed away, after we, in fact, it just so happened that Tracy and I had lunch with the Harrowwoods that very day and said goodbye to them probably about 1.30. And after the restaurant, I know that he went over to a family member's house. And it was there. It was a hot old summer day that he probably had every right to go home, take a nap, had every right to do what he had to do, had every right. Had, he had rights. But instead he went over and selflessly did something for another. Before he went home and tragically passed away. I I don't know how you fit God into all these moments. But I can tell you this because I was there at the funeral. And I was the one standing right here. And I saw the EMT crowd. And I saw family members. And I saw everybody that had gathered that day to honor James. And when the gospel was presented and people were asked to respond and hands were lifted up. I watched 30 to 40 hands get lifted up. In this sanctuary. To give their hearts to Jesus Christ. And I don't understand all of how this works. But I can tell you this. In one selfless act that may have cost his life. There were 30 to 40 world altering happenings. That took place. Because of that one selfless act. See that's a hero. I understand. I I know what the world venerates as a hero, but you know, those guys will come and go, and the only other time you'll see some of them is that when they run a list of award winners in the newspaper somewhere that years ago they won some award, and that's the only time you'll ever hear them again. They, they They don't change the face of human beings. A true hero is a selfless person. God entrusted his planet shaking plan to a man like Joseph. He's going to find a people who will be of the same character in order to release what I believe to be a nation-shaking and a world-shaking move of God. You know who God's going to use to reach the harvest? Selfless people. I don't think it to be a stretch to say that, that Jesus learned some things from his earthly dad. Listen, if God is going to entrust something great to you as a person... If he's going to entrust something great to us as a people, then we're going to have to lay down some things, some rights, as Jesus did. It's interesting because Joseph didn't live to the end of Jesus' ministry. You know that, don't you? Somewhere in here, we don't know where, Joseph obviously passed away. He wasn't there at the cross because, as you'll recall, Jesus looked at John and told him to take care of his mom. There was no dad there anymore. Somewhere, Joseph passed away in the middle of all of this. But do you understand, he may have passed away in the middle of what we see as the final act of the play of redemption, but Joseph was a key player. 
He was a key player in what God was wanting to do in order to shake this world, in order to reclaim this world, in order to somehow win this world back. He used a selfless man like Joseph in order to do that. And I guess my question is to you this morning is you may have a right. I don't know how you came here this morning. You may have every right to feel like you feel. You may have every right to be doing what you've been doing. You may have every right. You may have every right to, to put into motion certain things in order to secure an injustice or to take care of an unfairness or to, to press your claim. You, you may have a right. You may have an absolute right and you may put it before me or a hundred people and we could all look at it and we would say, well, you know, you're right. You have a right. But if you want to shake the world, if you want to shake a nation, if you want to shake a community, then folks, we're going to lay down some rights. And when you lay down those rights, and in that selfless moment, when that inner Grinch is broken and yielded, then all of a sudden God can move through that in amazing ways. The most selfless act in all of humanity was when Jesus gave himself up. And that, that was just pretty selfless, wasn't it? I, I, I think about this on occasion. You know, God, you should have just blew the place up. It would have been better to blow the thing up and start all over again. And he had every right to do it. But he laid down his rights. And in that one selfless act. Do you realize in that one selfless act? Do you realize in that selfless act of Joseph? Do you realize you and I wouldn't be here today? Filled with God. Enjoying peace and joy and hope and do you understand? If it weren't for the selfless acts of thousands of people. And the question is, will we be that next stepping stone for that next generation who may be the one that finish off the great plan of God in the earth? There will be a harvest. There will be an outpouring. The glory of the Lord will be upon the earth. It will happen. He's just looking for selfless people. In order to do that very thing. Would you stand with me please? What's that song we sang this morning? Um, no, it had, the, it had the phrase in it. It was selfless faith. Is that it, Hosanna? Is that the one? Well, bring your guys. Are you guys up here? You guys start making your way up here in just a moment. Yeah, go get Robert. I need a drummer. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, right now in this place, you are welcome. You're the only one now that can do what ultimately has to be done in all of our lives. Lord, I can teach and tell stories and share the scripture. But Lord, truth of the matter is, you're the only one that can reach into a human being's insides. You're the only one that can reach into a heart, the flesh, and begin to work and deal, convict and challenge, and, and do what only you can do to bring us to the place where we say, yes, I hear your voice, yes. I release my agenda. Yes, I embrace 
the plan of God. Yes, I'll obey instantly. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that that this Christmas season, Lord, as much as we enjoy giving and receiving gifts and being a blessing to one another, hearing the good reports, and Lord, it blesses my heart to hear all the good reports. But I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that this Christmas you'll really work on us about selflessness. That, Lord, we, we spend a lot of time casting the devil out of things, but, Lord, it is time that we yielded our, our nature, that you brought us to the place of true brokenness in order that something great, your plan, can begin to flow through our lives. Lord, I, I know I do. I, can't, I guess I really can't pray for everybody in, in, in a priestly sense, but, Lord, I can pray for me right now and say, Lord, I want to be a part of your great plan in the earth. And, Lord, I think I'm understanding what all that means when it comes to selflessness i'm sure there's more to it but lord i pray right now that you'd help these folks help us as a body to get a hold of that together what that means lord let the spirit the spirit of a joseph come into the men let the spirit of a mary come into the women Lord, cause us to be as that, that couple was on a Christmas night so many years ago. May it be said of us that, Lord, we were in the middle of the plan of God. Just be silent for a minute. God's working on some of you right now. probably been claiming your rights and now he's he's messing with you he's saying you know you may have a right here but i'm going to ask you to lay down your rights sometimes we get our rights and we don't get anything supernatural you got your rights it was your right you got it nobody will argue with you everybody in the community may cheer you you got your rights but it's when you release those rights that something supernatural and miraculous and powerful can begin to take place. Come on now, hear me. You have a right to be mad. You have a right to be angry. You have a right to be offended. Don't even waste your time coming up after service and telling me. I'll look at you and say, yeah, you're right. But if you'll let go of some rights, God will move miraculously in your life. Yes, He will. And he's dealing with it right now. And here's the key. What you got to do is you got to say, I let it go. Lord, I choose by an act of my will. You may not feel like it. I don't care how you feel. It doesn't matter how you feel. If you're waiting, if you're waiting to do something because you feel like doing it, you'll never see God move in your life. You're waiting for that, that feeling. And I'm just telling you, that feeling will come when you obey what God is saying.
time right now I'd encourage you if you're going to come and we're going to sing here again and guys you're going to start at the top start at the top but I encourage you brokenness if you don't mind I just encourage you I know you're used to standing if you don't mind I'd, I'd really suggest you knee if you can I know some of your knees aren't as good as others but if you can that'd be great because I think that's a, just a great way to come before the Lord right now in brokenness and yieldedness on it's not your agenda it's his it's not your purpose it's his it's not your voice it's his obedience works every time see they're coming
talking about consecrating we're not talking about being saved i mean salvation is good if you need saved we, we can help you there too but this morning primarily what i talked about was consecrating your life yielding it you know joshua said to the people of israel when they were ready to go into their destiny their land he said consecrate yourselves for tomorrow we go in you don't you don't go in unless you're consecrated you don't get your inheritance unless you're consecrated. You don't get your promise unless you're consecrated. God doesn't part the Jordan unless you're consecrated. He doesn't bring the walls of Jordan down before your feet unless you're consecrated. He doesn't stop the sun unless you're consecrated. 
And the best way I can illustrate it just for you to do, maybe when you get home, is to, most of you have printers or you can find a piece of notebook paper, but you just need to get a blank paper like this. And what you do is you sign it at the bottom. And you just put it in your Bible. After you've taken it to the Lord and said, Lord, here, here, here it is. I've signed it. Now you fill it in. I'm not going to wrestle with you anymore. I'm not going to force my agenda. I'm, I'm, I've just signed it. Here you go, sir. You fill it in. You fill it in. I don't know that I'll ever walk through what Joseph walked through, but I tell you what, he was a man that was born in the same predicament I was with that inner Grinch. Here you go, sir. I've yielded. I'm yours. You fill it in. Good, bad, bless me, challenge me. It's yours. It's yours. My life isn't about me anymore. Galatians 2.20 says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So you know what? It isn't about you anymore. You and I don't have to survive. All we have to do is submit to the plans of God. And His plan will come to pass. Father, I pray right now for every person that's at this altar and everyone in this congregation. Lord, I know some have been down here already through this month. And and others, I know, Lord, you're still working on. And these who are at this altar, Lord, you obviously have spoken to. Lord, I wish I could deliver them just by the sheer power that you would put in me or another person. But Lord, this is their moment before you that they give themselves as a living sacrifice and say, Lord, I'm I'm ready for for the deal with you where I sign the blank contract. I'm, I'm, I'm coming yielded. I want my life, Lord, to be broken so it can be put back together to reflect you. To reflect you. Lord, I pray that you would begin to do that in these people. Lord, I know some of them that are here that I'm looking at, Lord, they do. They have every right, every right to stand and say, in this situation, it seems to me, this is how it should have shook. Should have shook. But Lord, they're laying that right down, I'm quite sure. Doesn't seem fair, does it? But you know what? God will move in. And what doesn't seem like is earthly fair will somehow shake out to be better for you than you could have ever imagined. I will assure you that Joseph still got the best end of that deal. You will too. So Lord, help them to see what maybe they can't totally see right now. Help them in this very uh, uh, tender moment, Lord, to be able to say, Lord, whatever it means, however it shakes, whatever it looks like in the years ahead, I'm all yours. Lord, I believe you're going to receive that sacrifice that they bring to you this morning. And you're going to do some great things. And Lord, I pray for all of us right now. We want to shake a region. Lord, our heart's desire is to reach Charleston and this region for kingdom cause. That's our heart's desire. And Lord, you'll never shake a region or shake a nation unless you can use a people, Lord, who are selfless. So Lord, we present ourselves. Help us to understand all that that means. Lord, we probably don't get it right now. But Lord, help us. Lord, we really want to do that. And Lord, we love you a lot. We appreciate what you're doing in our church. We appreciate what you're doing in these people's lives. We appreciate, Lord, that you're moving people up to that next level and that next dimension. We appreciate, Lord, that next Christmas, a year from now, it's going to be so much different. We can't even imagine. Come on, listen to me. I'm prophesying to some of you right now that next Christmas, one year 
If you'll walk yielded and selfless, if you'll put into practice the things that you've learned, I'll prophesy to you right now, you, you will evaluate this Christmas to the Christmas that's yet to come. And you'll say there's not even, there's not even, it's not even the same. That God will have done something to propel you further into his plans and purposes. And you'll be glad for it. It won't be a, it won't be a sorrowful thing. You'll be glad for it. So Lord, seal your work in this people. I thank you for this congregation. Lord, I release them with a great big blessing from you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can we give the Lord, come on now, let's give him a big, big hand clap. He's King of Kings and he is Lord of Lords. Hey, before you're good, uh, before you're good, before you go, do something good. Look a couple people in the eye and tell them God's good as well. All right, hug a neck, shake a hand. You're released. I hope I see you in the middle of the week. God bless you. You're released.